Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ando Anderson. How are you, Ando? Absolutely brilliant, mate. I have many reasons not to be, but life's still good. So I'm happy to be here and chat all things rugby. Yeah, we're choosing to be on the the happy side of things this week. We could have (laughs) taken the completely other side of the coin, being Waratahs fans, but we're choosing to be optimistic. So you're all welcome for that. Um, before we get into the, the rugby, who we are and what we do. So we're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Um, so just to start things off, everybody, I mean, look, we had some fantastic listener feedback to some of the posts we put out, getting some questions in for this week's pod. We will be going through the majority of the questions. Um, there are a couple that we may not touch on in a huge amount of detail. But if you want to connect with us on socials, Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook, pick and drive rugby podcast and Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now, do not forget the Super Brew tipping competition. In many ways, I want to forget the Super Brew tipping competition because uh, I think I you already have going particularly well. No, no, no. It's just because of my misguided support of the Tars in round oh, one, which dear. has really uh, hammered me so far. Plus, plus, I thought tipping the Brumbies to win by 25 was hard enough as it was, let alone I should have picked them to win by 50. So with that being said, can I please announce, drum roll, the Super Brew yellow cap for this week goes to Jumpin' Tim Slim. Congratulations. Very nice. And um, I will put out there that Jumpin' Tim Slim was also the highest margin pick for the for that Waratahs game. He did say the Brumbies by 50 and he ended up being smack bang on. So very well done. Very, very impressive. Well um, he he sometimes, I, I know this Tim fella, sometimes <laughs> he has some controversial opinions. This time, very luckily came off. So I hope he rides his luck all the way to the top of the leaderboard. So congratulations. Um, and I will just say congrats to Toombs and David Esky, who are still number ones, equal number ones. So well done, boys. Yeah, still up there at the end of the table. Well done. So tonight, what we will do is we will do some spicy news first. There's not too much to talk about, so we'll try and get through that pretty quickly. Then we will dive into our review of round two of Super Rugby AU. We will touch briefly on Super Rugby Aotearoa as well, the first round of games that was over the weekend, but we won't spend too much time on those, maybe just a few quick thoughts. And then we'll move on to round three for next week and we'll preview the upcoming fixtures. Um, Hopefully the Waratahs will do better. We probably won't spend too much time talking about that. Fingers crossed. Um, and then <laughs> we will dive into some listener questions because we got a ton of them and it's been awesome. Brilliant. So why don't we jump on straight into it with our spicy news? Let's go. All right, we're moving into the spicy news. We'll start with the domestic, move to the international. So on the domestic front, there are already calls or questions being asked about security of Rob Penny's role as coach of the Waratahs. And... He was asked directly after the match and he said he would not stand in the way if that was what the decision makers told him if he did need to leave. Mitch, what are your thoughts about this situation for Rob Penny? 
I mean, I really do feel for the guy because the Waratahs have not played well in the last two weeks, but I don't really put that down to him necessarily being a bad coach. I think he's he's trying to do the best with the roster that he's been given by the Waratahs. Uh, the team that he had last year was completely different to the team that he's got this year. We haven't seen any improvement from anyone from 2020 to 2020-21, unfortunately. So I guess you could say that that might be down to Penny and that He's not done enough in these last two weeks and he needs to move on. But I just, I don't think any coach in world rugby would be able to do um, an improved performance from where we're currently sitting with what we've currently got. This team we've got is so young and so inexperienced. I don't see how you could turn that around so quickly. I also just don't think that the Waratahs financially could get rid of Penny. They'd have to pay him out for the rest of his contract, first of all. And then who he's are they going to... second year. So exactly. So year. he's got another year yep. and a half to go. And then who do they put in instead? I mean, if they had the money, I would love to see them sign someone like Darren Coleman from Gordon, but he's already gone off to the MLR next year. So he's yep. well yep. and truly committed to that endeavor. It would have been great to see him in Super Rugby, but it didn't happen. They let that go. I I don't see it. I don't see what they do now. I think it would be a knee-jerk reaction that's not going to help the situation if they get rid of Penny. Like you said, they'd have to pay him out. And it just doesn't make sense because the situation that he has inherited, you could see the direction that the team was getting taken last year in a 2020 competition. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. They weren't fantastic, but you could see where he was going. There they was a game better. plan. There was a they style. Were getting better. And we were, they were getting better. And then half the roster left because of COVID, according to Whitaker, which brings us really well onto the next article. Um, Chris Whitaker, the assistant coach. Yeah. Chris Whitaker, the assistant coach at the Waratahs, basically says that COVID isn't to blame, um, that there was a whole bunch of issues in regards to being able to keep on the players because of what the financial problems within Australian rugby at the time. Uh, It's just a bit of an odd article. But basically, I just don't understand how the Waratahs were forced to lose so many players, but other teams didn't. Why? Why? Maybe the Rebels. The Rebels and the Waratahs probably are the two that lost the most players to the um, financial issues that hit Australian rugby in the middle of last year. But why were the Waratahs so hammered compared to every other team? Were they paying over the top for their players and couldn't afford to keep them? I, I think one, um, one issue that came for the Waratahs and timing is another thing that came into factor here with COVID that all of these players were just off contract at the end of 2020. And at the time when they were looking at renewing contracts, New South Wales rugby weren't able to top up and offer them something of, of significant value because at that time they didn't have a broadcast partner. They didn't have a lot of money in the kitty to be able to give to these players. There's already, there's some rumors going around that some of the players that have committed for this year, that extended through like um, Jack Maddox took a massive pay cut and only took one year extension as opposed to three or four where he, you thought he might've yeah. been going. Yeah. Um, so you can understand that though those factors combined is why players when they've got the prospect of playing at a Waratahs team for significantly less at that time than they would be getting from overseas, why you wouldn't go overseas. It, it, it makes sense from a player yeah. um, perspective. Yeah, look, I, I actually misspoke earlier. Um, I said Whitaker said that COVID wasn't to blame. That's actually the reverse. He said that COVID was to blame, not player development. So just be aware of that. Um, the other thing is there are some pretty reliable reports from a bunch of rugby reporters say, stating that the TARS are about 
well, more than a million dollars under the salary cap for this year. And the fact that they just cannot afford to even get to the salary cap is really concerning. But look, I don't want to talk about that too much. We're going to speak about it a bit more in the uh, listener comments at the end of the pod. So why don't we move on to a really positive story? Uh, the Reds are going to be visiting local clubs during the buy round. They're going to be split up and traveling out to some of the regional centers that they came from, their kind of junior clubs. What do you think about this initiative from Brad Thorns and the Queensland Reds? Oh, it's it's brilliant. And this is what rugby needs. This is Brad Thorne is right on the money here. He's been doing so well with this crop of players. First of all, just developing them as rugby players and getting their names out there. But the fact that he's actually building a connection with the community is something that rugby is a sport we haven't done well in the last few years. So the Reds to regions that they used to do that they were doing in the preseason was a great example of this. They would, where they had the time, they'd go out to regional New, um, Queensland. This time, in it's only clubs in Brisbane, so it's a sort of a smaller um, pool of area that they're going to. But the fact is that these players are spending their free time engaging in the community and, and trying to build relationships back with mums and dads and and officials and and um, coaches and they're just getting out there and they're being accessible uh, we haven't seen the waratahs do this in forever i can't even remember the last time the waratahs have just allowed people to turn up to training and watch them train or gave a sausage mm. sizzle or anything the, the um, western force also did something similar this week as well they had a fan day in their buy last weekend so they invited all of their members and i think it was for everyone actually to come to their um training paddocks and they put on a free sausage sizzle and the players were there taking photos with people and mingling and just getting like in amongst the crowd it was it's great to see it's definitely something that rugby needs to work on and it's really good to see that brad thorne's sort of driving that for the reds yeah, I see the Brumbies doing it a fair bit with an ACT as well. But the good thing about being an ACT is they don't have to travel far to get to their regions. So it's probably just not as much of a notable achievement. Whereas for the Queensland like, Reds. You only have to go through about three <laughs> roundabouts. Hour. And you, yeah, roundabouts <laughs> and you're out of, out of Canberra. You're back in New South Wales. Out of Canberra. Yeah, something like <laughs> that. Um, so well done, Reds. Great initiative. And just to round off the Aussie side of the news, uh, we have the English Speedster. Under-20 star Jordan Oluwafela from Leicester Tigers has come across to the force on a one-year deal. This is a really interesting one. Um, I have opinions on it, but Mitch, what did you think when you heard this news? Well, he's on a loan, first of all. So he's come out to play yeah, Super yeah. Rugby 2021 and he will be heading back at the end of the year. Um, I mean, I can't personally say I've seen too much of this guy, but he looks like a fantastic footballer from what I've seen in the last little bit, just looking him up and watching some of his highlights. So again, they're adding great talent to that roster. Um, um, it's definitely going to be a big ask this weekend for the Tars. Definitely a contrast to where New South Wales find themselves at the moment. But I guess the more exposure we get of international players coming down here and playing Super Rugby, the better, because hopefully they can go back to their competitions and say, wow, guys, that was actually really great rugby. Let's go down there and play because the rugby is yeah. so good. The money's might not be so good, but the rugby's good. It's sort of the opposite of what we generally see of players leaving Super Rugby and going elsewhere. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the players that they have available on the wing, the one that immediately jumps out to me is Byron Ralston as being a fantastic uh, winger. He's he's really exciting. You've also got Brad Lacey, who is pretty serviceable and played fairly well in the first game. Uh, but aside from those two, they don't have any out-and-out wingers except for Tony Plew, who, from my understanding of him as a rugby player, is just permanently injured. So I am not sure if he's expected to take the field or maybe this signing is cover for the fact that Pooley's injury may be more than actually thought. 
he was going to be out for. So it's a little bit interesting to see that they're bringing a player in when I'm assuming he's going to have to do the two-week quarantine if he hasn't already. Have you? Do you know if he's entered the country yet? No, I don't know. I this it was literally announced like 20 minutes ago for us. So yeah, okay. um, as far as I'm aware, he's probably coming soon. Yeah, um, two-week quarantine. So that yeah. means he's only available for the second half of the season plus the Trans-Tasman. If that goes ahead, yeah. Yep. Anyway, let's move on to the international side of things. We've got further controversy. So uh, last week after we said that the France game would probably go ahead because it's the French and they seem to not care about COVID. Well, <laughs> they had a whole bunch more people test positive and then the, the game against Scotland was called off. So that was unfortunate for us. It came out about an hour or two after we'd finished recording the pod. <laughs> um, we've just seen the news. That there's a fair bit of controversy now because there's been further positive tests within the French camp and there's really big concerns about whether or not the French government is actually going to ban them from participating in the Six Nations because of their refusal to follow up about where the infections actually came in. They're meant to be in a bubble arrangement. So how did they get infected? Well, the French have a bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards it all and they're not really investigating. The government don't like it. Mitch, quick fire opinion. Yeah, it's, it's worrying that it's happened in the first place. I didn't see it going ahead. And when you were so adamant last week that it would, I was, I was very cautious. But now that the number's growing, 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 it really throws into doubt whether they can actually compete in the rest of this tournament. Their numbers are massive within such a small team. Like the percentage of play or people that are in that bubble that are now have been tested positive is really worrying. So it's got massive questions about them. They were doing so well in the tournament as well. No one wants to see them withdraw, but if they can't get this COVID situation under, under control, then they have to. Agree. Yeah. All right. Final piece of news. We, we have to touch on this. It's a six nations controversy surrounding England and Wales. Now as a, proud Welshman I am genuinely half Welsh my mother is full-blooded uh it gives me nothing more (laughs) hey excuse me I've been in St David's and watched England uh sorry Australia beat Wales it was very fun I nearly got kicked out and beaten up because I was the only (laughs) Aussie supporter there it was great um but anyway the base six nations match England lost to Wales in very very controversial circumstances so the most controversial was when um, penalty gets given to Wales the game kind of stops water boys and uh, medics run onto the field and then I can't understand the exact reasoning but Wales are allowed to take the quick tap to a crossfield kick and Wales score in corner and Owen Farrell went off his nut at the referee in a way that I can really understand it's a high stakes match. The team's under a lot of pressure. And then a French referee, no less, goes ahead and does this. Uh, what did you think in regards to the fallout that's coming around this event? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I definitely feel for England because they were there in a huddle um, expecting a little bit more time, I guess, before the game resumed. But at the same time, like they knew that Wales had a penalty advantage. They said the fact that they've all sort of come into a huddle and were drinking water and and assuming the game was completely off is a little bit unusual that you wouldn't still be watching it in in their defense though the referee did change his mind very quickly and said okay time on here's your mark and they kicked it um and england was in a huddle under the post so they basically scored untouched difficult one a little bit of um either side there but yeah i definitely can feel for both i can understand both sides point of views in this one yeah, I hear you. Okay, let's move on. I think that's enough of us touching on the news. Why don't we move now to our review of the round two matches? 
Let's go. All right. Now to chat some rugby. So we're going to go to the first game of the weekend, which was uh, on Friday night. The Reds hosted the Rebels at Suncorp Stadium. And this game was a lot closer than I think anyone expected. Um, The Rebels were unlucky to not see out a victory in this game. The final score was 23-21 to the Reds. But Matt Miller had a kick at goal at the final minutes of the game. It unfortunately missed, which which was which allowed the Reds to win the competition the, the game. But um, definitely, definitely a different Red a Rebels team than we'd expected in the last few years. So, Ando, what were your general thoughts around this game? I think that the Reds will not be happy with this game. Uh, realistically, if I was a Reds fan, I would be just breathing a massive sigh of relief with the quality of kicking that Matty Tamua was showing on the night. He really should have got that final penalty. Like he, he'd kicked harder ones that evening. So a huge kind of commiserations to Matty Tamua for that. It must be, must have been incredibly hard. I was to questioning kind of why Hodge did his head. that shot. He'd, he'd taken some of the later ones in the game. Yeah. I, I realized. And it was, it was um, quite a way out. It was kind of five uh, yeah. minutes, just over the five meter line from there and just inside the Reds half. So, well, within, maybe, maybe so Tamua backed himself as a yeah. captain, just backs himself. Um, I got this, fellas. So, maybe, maybe because of the extra distance, that's why his accuracy wasn't as good, perhaps. But regardless, um, the Reds, in my mind, they, they didn't really deserve the win because the Rebels had a far better game plan. And I feel like the Reds were almost naive in the first half display that they showed. So they were trying to play this really high up-tempo game, trying to like run the, run the Rebels off the feet, change the point of attack multiple times, do lots of quick taps from Tate McDermott. And the Rebels just absorbed the pressure, got a penalty, kicked it upfield, got a penalty, kicked it. And that was it. The only points they got throughout the game were penalties, seven penalties to get their 21. And you know what? I didn't find the Rebels play boring at all. I thought it was smart and intelligent to slow the game down and negate the strengths of the Queensland Reds. And it took until well into the second half for that to change for the Reds. So I was just... Like credit to them, I guess, for getting themselves back into a situation in the second half where they were able to come back and win the game. But I would be concerned about the lack of capacity to adjust their game plan from about 25 or 30 minutes into the game and make the change before the halftime. That'd be my concern. Uh, So that's my quick... I guess that wasn't very quick, but that's my summary. That's your impressions of the game. No, I love it. Well yep. done. Yep. Yeah, I um I had a lot of similar points to you around that one. Um, I was very impressed with the game plan the Rebels brought. They they basically set themselves up to go against the Reds. They knew they knew that the Reds were going to be playing that kind of high impact, fast, quick turnover ball game, but they also know that the Reds can give away a fair few penalties. So they knew that all they had to do was get into the Reds half. And with the kickers that they've got, Reese Hodge and Matt Tamua, the two best kickers in Australian rugby, um, then all they needed to do was get let the Reds give away a, a simple error and then they'd kick points. And that's what they did. And that kept them ahead of the game all the way basically up until the 78th minute. Um, I agree with what you were saying, Ando, is that there were definitely questions there around why the Reds weren't adapting their game plan. Um, at halftime, they spoke with Tate McDermott and he, he the the commentators on the Knights, he, the, I think it was Tate McDermott. Anyway, um, he was saying, no, sorry, it was Harry Wilson. 
anyway, irrelevant. Um, he was saying, you know, we, we're <laughs> going to keep the up-tempo because we're going to tire these guys out. This is the first game of the season and then the points will come later in the half. But it hadn't proved that way so far. They were actually, yep. the Rebels were negating that quite effectively. The fact that the Reds stuck to that game plan all the way through, they just got through. But I would have expected a team that is going to be one of the two, they will make the finals this year from what we've seen from the other competi- competition so far. I would have expected they were able to identify the errors that were, well, the areas that weren't quite working, fix those up a little bit, and then adjust on the fly, which they didn't seem to do. But in saying that, the Reds did play more rugby than the Rebels. They had a lot more possession and they had a lot more line breaks and they actually scored three tries. So you can't, um, you can't, definitely can't take that away from the Reds either. The fact they showed, for me, they showed enough to be, to still be talked about as potential title winners. Yes, the Rebels played a good game plan and, and were able to control a lot of the game, but they came through and they still saw out that victory, which is, I think, is a massive step forward from this Reds team of a year or two ago. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, even saying that, like that final point, that final point you made, Tamua should have got that kick. Yeah. And if Tamua gets that kick, then the entire narrative around this game changes, uh, in, in my opinion. But one of the interesting points is I, I said earlier, that the Reds were able to adjust their game plan in the second half. And I was just thinking about that after I said it. And I kind of disagree with myself mm-hmm. in that they get that early try in the second half, 48th minute, um, Alex Murphy rolling more, O'Connor converts. So it takes them to 13-15 in the 49th minute. Okay. But then in the 54th minute, the Reds get a kickable penalty in the Rebels half. And O'Connor at 13 to 18, sorry, 13 to, yeah, 13 to 18, because Hodge has got a penalty. Um, he chooses to go for the line out. The Rebels then manage to withdraw and spoil it. They get another penalty and O'Connor uh, doesn't go for the kick again. And sorry, doesn't go for the penalty again and kicks it to the sideline, have another line out. And then that's when Fotuaka gets the red card. And so I just wasn't convinced that the Reds at that point in the game should be turning down these kickable penalties to go for the line out more. And to me, uh, I, I want the Reds to play attacking rugby at the right times and play smart rugby at the right times. And I'm not convinced that when you're 13, 18 down in the 54th minute, you should be turning down a kickable penalty. And that type of attitude is what worries me if i if i was a reds fan it's what would worry me just in regards to their title aspirations i'm not sure if they have the game sense or the game management smarts just yet to be really competing against the brumbies at the pointy end of it yeah they can compete for points of the game and they've got great attacking structures they've got good players don't get me wrong but when the pressure comes on, when those high tension moments are in like semifinal or grand final games, I'm just not confident that the Reds have the leadership or the right decision-making capacity at this point in time. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It is questionable why um, O'Connor chose to go to the corner, but he did end up getting rewarded with a try. The other Not point, then, not, not then, then, it came later. Was that not after the no. the third one they didn't end up scoring off? Was that not Af- um, Alex Murphy's first try? Uh, Alex Murphy's first try and the kicks I'm saying came about 10 minutes after that oh, first okay. try. Yeah. 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 But um, one other point we do have to realize too is that 
the um, the Queensland Reds also bombed Alex Murphy bombed a third try. So if they had scored that, and that was in probably the, f- uh, I don't have the, the point written down, but um, if they had scored that, they're quite a healthy lead ahead of the Rebels. So yes, we can say that. I know the Queensland Reds are, we all kind of expected a little bit more. And I definitely think in that first half, they were a little bit overawed and weren't expecting the Rebels to come out and be leading um, and definitely just getting into their half and taking those points. But the fact that they stuck to their guns and actually saw the game out was really quite um, quite a good thing, I think, personally. Yeah, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. Um, should we keep on going then and talk about which players stood out to us? Yeah, sure. All right. I might jump in and say I was really impressed with Hunter Paisami within this game. His his defense continues to be just devastating when borderline. he when he actually yeah, but it's borderline. definitely borderline, but it's borderline on the side of good at this point, but it could very easily slip and he could get a red card and be out for 3 weeks. But well, he hasn't that, yet so that far. Last tackle, he potentially could have given away this game as you said before. That's that a good hit. point. That's and a good he, point, actually. He did hit Tamua a few times quite high. That first hit that we've seen um, on the sort of highlight packages in yep. the day since yep. was high as well. He's lucky that he actually hit the ball and didn't yeah, drift correct. any higher. But yeah. Yep. Um, I agree. Well. So obviously that, that final penalty was not smart. You saw it coming from a mile away that he was going to smash him. Um, but despite that, he's playing a really, really smart style of play. And there's a great analytical piece by... Um, Nick, 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 I've forgotten his last name, Welsh analyst who writes for The Raw. Anyway, um, he wrote a fantastic piece about Hamish Stewart, Hunter Paisami and Jordan Pattaya. And I recommend that you go and check it out. But basically, he's just showing how Pattaya, whilst being out at 13 in defence, is quite often playing at 12 in attack and is taking on a lot of the distribution role that a 12 normally would within the team. And he's just growing as a player. So I'm really enjoying watching him go. Um, one player that really stood out to me was Kabus Elof for the Rebels. He, and I'm not going to mince my words here, folded Tupo in the scrum twice in the first half like like properly dominated Taniello Tupo in the first half in the 11th minute scrum and then in the 27th minute scrum Iwuf just absolutely turns him inside out and um Tupo ends up going down and the, and the rebels get the scrum penalty you do not see that often you do not see Tupo getting dominated in the scrum now to his credit Tupo came back on in the second half when there was an injury and absolutely monstered the rebel scrum um but it was really really fascinating and the rebel scrum got massively depowered when Elof was substituted in the second half so that was wonderful to see and to see the pink pink budgie smuggler man <laughs> take some wonderful steps in the 2021 season yeah i was i've got to say i was really impressed with the melbourne rebels set piece um for this game so they um, they won nine of ten of their ten scrums, so they had a ninety percent success rate, and they won six of their eight lineouts. Now the lineout calls were a little bit off. Um, we was I was speaking after the game with friend of the pod Ed Craig, who made his debut. So well done, Ed. And he he said that there was some issues around the calls and and the timings of the lineouts. Um, he wasn't massively happy with his performance, but I thought he did quite well. So I'm going to put out there: you did well, Ed. Um, keep it up. <laughs> we loved watching you, mate. We loved watching yeah. you. It's great to see a, a New South Wales boy out there giving it his all. Um, but yeah, the the set piece for the Rebels was a lot better than it has been in the last few years. And I, I think yeah, Caboose was one of those players that really did step up and I was really impressed with him. 
um, Pone Farmacilli as well. Both of those guys together were just kind of wrecking balls around the field. But when it came to scrum time, they're really showing that they can take it to any team in this competition, I would imagine, because the Reds are known for having a great front row. Um, it'll be interesting to see this weekend when they come up against the the Brumbies to see how they go. But they never really took a backward step. Um, apart from, I think, the first scrum, Tupo came in. Um, I've got to say this. The the spider cam angle that they had in this game was fantastic. I should have mentioned yes, this earlier, but so I was good. so impressed so with good. the spider cam. The first scrum, um, you can see from the engagement that Tupo just comes in completely sideways as soon as they call set and just absolutely demolishes <laughs> the rebels. But the fact that we got that angle, we could see that he's um, scrummaging illegally, but he got away with it. It was quite amazing. Um, that's one thing that we get to see with the spider cam, some of the dark tricks of the scrums and how the front rowers can get above and, and um, cr- cripple their opposition. So that was great to see, but yeah, I was really impressed with just the general set piece of the rebels and particularly around the line out and the mall, they disintegrated the Reds um, mall drive about three times, which was really good to see, particularly going back and watching that game after the, the Waratahs game where there was basically, well, not basically, there was no ball defense at all in that performance. <laughs> I was starting to yep. wonder if, can anyone stop a mall? But then I went back and I, and I watched the, Re- the Rebels and they did really well. So yes, yep. the Rebels knew how to dissect, dissect a mall and it was great to see. And I mean, if you think for the, you know what, I'm not going to talk about the Tars. We're not talking about the Tars right now. We're not yet. Let's not move yet. on. <laughs> um, I was really impressed um, with Joe Powell. Yeah. It's good yeah, to see agreed. Joe Powell play for, for the Rebels. We know that he's been, he's a good player. He's a Wallabies level player, but he's always been behind that um, Brumbies pack. He's always going forward and he's always had good a good platform to build off. So I don't think the platform was as good as the Brumbies this week. But he was definitely still taking those sniping runs and getting his ball passes out there. And he was keeping that um, that tempo moving really nicely along for the Rebels. So I was really impressed to see him in new colors and, and performing really, really well for the Rebels. Yeah, he had a good game. And I want to highlight Matty Tamura as well. Um, I thought he, uh, for a large part of the game, outplayed James O'Connor. Yep. Uh, there was a fantastic piece of analysis from Alana Ferguson and Andrew Merton in the pre-game uh, commentary where they went through the difference in attacking style between Matty Tamura and James O'Connor. Um, and even got, uh, they even after this, they got Mertz and Alana out and did some kind of walking through their paces for some of the strategies that a 10 might use. But basically they identified that James O'Connor um, plays a lot more as a kind of heads up distributor. He's looking to see where the space is and then make passes and uh, attacking plays in order to exploit space. Whereas Matty Tamua plays so much flatter to the line and is trying to commit the first couple of defenders and then play it out to somebody and put them through a hole. So it's just a, difference in approach and I thought Matt Tamua was really really strong he got absolutely hammered um, by Hunter Paisami early in the game but was able to get up and continue playing at a really good level kicking accuracy was pretty good throughout the game um, obviously apart from the last one which was a really disappointing miss for him but I was it was heartbreaker I was I was really happy with his performance and I'm glad that we've got O'Connor, we've got Tamua, and we've got Lolasio, particularly, who are standing up and playing fantastic rugby. It bodes well for the Wallabies down the track. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed with Tamua as <laughs> Nothing well. Nothing to add. <laughs> I was going to say something, but it just left my mind as I went to say it. So You were just blown away by the wisdom of my words. I understand. It happens to a lot of people. Yeah, it just completely threw me off track. Well, why don't we go? Um, standout statistics from the match. Was there anything that jumped out to you, mate? 
Yeah, so um, the possession statistics, first of all. So the Reds had 61% possession and 67% territory, but the Rebels led the whole mm. game. So they were very much um, happy to just let the Reds compl- run at them and trust their defensive line. Um, the amount of runs that the Reds took, 116 to 59 for the Rebels. So the fact that the Rebels were leading the whole game and were happy to just let the Reds keep coming at them, trust in their defense, really showed that they were um, aligned with their uh, game plan and really trusted in it and knew that that was how they were going to succeed. And I think that's something that we haven't seen from the Rebels a lot in the the past. I was really impressed with that this game. We've had, I've personally had questions over Dave Vessels being able to... um, get his players to perform at a sort of super rugby level or they just haven't put in performances that we would kind of expect for um, this kind of level and the players that they have. But I was really impressed with their game plan. They seem to know what worked best for the players that they have and they played to it and they weren't overawed by the Reds. Reds have some big boys and they were running at them pretty hard, but they made their tackles. They brought them to ground and they kept the ball going. So um, yeah, it was really great to see. And I guess it just goes to show that you don't have to have possession to win a game of rugby. Yeah, exactly. And there's a couple of extra stats which kind of just speak to what you're talking about. So the Reds had 17 turnover knock-ons to the Rebels' six. So the Reds in the first half particularly dropped so much ball when on attack and a lot of it just was relatively unforced. I think they were just trying too hard to make those attacking plays and to play this really up-tempo style of game that the they were just fumbling where they would not normally do so. But also... The Rebels missed 29 tackles throughout the game. That's huge. And that also speaks to the fact that they really didn't concede many, like they only conceded a couple of tries off rolling malls. And so the 29 missed tackles shows that their cover defense was also really good. The commitment that they had to make sure they got back and scramble in D, reset the line and then force an error was really, really obvious throughout and contributed to a large part of the defensive strength that we saw throughout the game. So I I really enjoyed it. I read one article uh, on the ABC actually calling this a dour game. I think it is a dour game if you don't appreciate what the Rebels were doing to Mm. counteract the game plan of the Reds. I really, really enjoyed it and was kind of heartbroken for the Rebels that they didn't get the win. I think they deserved it. But credit to the Reds for not giving up and staying in a fight the whole time and getting lucky with that final kick. Yeah, I think that's something that we've seen sort of bandied about on on social media in the last few days, that the Queensland Reds were really the only team playing rugby and that the Rebels weren't. But I don't agree with that at all. I think one of the aspects of rugby that makes it such a great game is that there's so many different ways to approach it. There's so many different ways to win a game. And the Rebels showed that it is effective to just get in the opposition half and kick penalty points from a fair distance out if you've got the players to do that. And if that's what's going to work best for you as a team, do it. It's great to see. We don't have to have teams running it from their try line every single week to just be exciting. Um, I thought it was great that the Rebels backed themselves to take those shots and just kept that scoreboard ticking over because this was the first time we've seen that sort of example of scoreboard pressure really starting to mount on a team. And it really, you could see that it was mentally starting to add some effect to the, um, the Queensland Reds, particularly as it got up into those sort of late minutes in the second half, 55, 60 minutes, they were starting to really um, question things that they didn't expect to be in that position. So it was a very smart game plan and it was great to see. And I really enjoyed the game. I completely agree. Now you wanted to chat about the red card. Yes, I do. We can't go 
I think another week without talking about a red card. We had it last. We had a, a red card in the Waratahs game last week, and we didn't really speak too much to it. I think that that one was fairly cut and dry. Um, we both agree that this one was a red card. There's no denying that. Um, it was a silly situation for the player to find himself in. We know where rugby, world rugby's heading around player protection. If you hit anyone towards the head, you've really got no. Um, mitigating factors to it, you're going to cop a red card. So we're definitely not saying that we think this red card's wrong in any way. Um, we once it came about, we could. I personally could see that this was the only way that was going. Were you of the same opinion, Ando? Uh, yeah, I thought when I saw it in a replay, I thought minimum yellow, absolute minimum yellow. Yeah. Um, but because he took a quite a big run up to get there he he saw it from a fair way out yeah and as when i saw the fact that he had it wasn't as though there was a mitigating factor of hardwick um dropping at the last minute or anything like that it it was hardwick competing for the ball jackling for the ball and then just a straight hit to the head or neck region so it was going to be a red card a minimum yellow or red card after that yeah, and I think it's something that World Rugby and I'm I'm really happy that they're coming down so hardly on this kind harsh on this kind of contact because it's something that we need to stamp out of the game and that that element of running into a breakdown late at pace is dangerous and it needs to they need to really stamp it out of the game and if it's going to keep happening as it's been in the last few weeks and we this isn't the only instance of seeing this it was also in the Six Nations and it was quite impactful in their um, their whole games over there because they don't have the rules around replacing a, a red card like we do down here that we're sort of trialing this season. Um, but yep. for player welfare, there's no excuse for it. Um, yep. Futuwaka could had plenty of time to pull out of that tackle. There was no reason for him to commit to that to that breakdown. So the reason I wanted to chat Except about to it, stop the jackal from succeeding, but yeah, well, he, he saw that it was happening. I mean, what what was he hoping to? Like at that point, Hardwick had yeah, won Hardwick the breakdown. Get Hardwick off the ball and save the ball. But Hardwick had won the breakdown. Like Hardwick had yeah, got his hands on the balls. The ref, hadn't, the ref hadn't called it. And that, that's that's the point I want to get into. So there's been some Ooh. chat over social media that I got into when the game was on around who's kind of responsible in that situation. So some people that I were chatting to thought that it was more um, a situation that the referee set up, that the referee allowed that to happen and therefore it shouldn't have been a red card because the referee didn't blow a penalty sooner. I think the onus falls completely back on the player. Um, you need to to um, look at a situation like that and see that there's a player with his head in that situation. You're not going to get any um, benefit by entering that breakdown. So why would you do it? Yeah, that's my um, um, that's my sort of questioning around that. And we, that's something that we just really do need to stamp out of the game at the moment because it seems to be happening more and more. And yep. the game's getting faster and faster. There is less and less margin for error as the game wears on, but these players are professional players. They spend 24 hours a day, uh, they're seven days a week <laughs> playing rugby. Um, they're that fit. They're that capable. And they need to know that player welfare is the biggest thing, um, the most important thing. And so I just personally think that the, you can't blame the referee in that situation. Yes. You could say that the referee could have blown the penalty earlier, but the player had plenty of time to analyze that situation and see that he wasn't going to cause any benefit to his team by committing to that breakdown and to just pull yeah. away. Or even do, um, what's it called? The crocodile roll where yeah. you kind of land on top of them, grab them around the waist and then roll off to the side. Now, yeah. technically 
that's illegal. But the Welsh players have been doing it for years under Gatlin, so nobody cares. Um, but it also avoids the head-on contact that just charging at the head or neck area does. So hit them between the shoulder blades, grab them around the back, and try and roll them off the ball and get them off their feet. It, it's a pretty common thing. As long as you enter from the front, you're probably not going to get called for it as much, depending upon the ref and how pedantic they are. But I've just realized the time, mate, we really yeah. need to move on to Let's the uh, showpiece. I'm, I'm happy for it to the red card chat to finish there. I just love the fact that we had a player back on the field after 20 minutes. Yeah. The, the Reds got a punishment, which was deserved. They were down a man for 20 minutes. They then had kind of one less substitute in a way because they had to use one to replace the um, red-carded player. I like this rule moving forward. I yep. think it's a good good idea and it's something that we should consider pushing for with in a broader non-Australian setting. Yep, definitely. Let's move on. All right, let's go. And do you just want to jump straight into game two? Yeah, did you want to lead us into this one, Ando? Yeah, mate. So basically the Waratahs versus the Brumbies or the Brumbies were playing at home at GIO Stadium in Canberra on Saturday night. Uh, They absolutely trounced the Waratahs 61 to 10 in the highest ever defeat that the Waratahs have suffered from the Brumbies. And this is coming on the back of the highest ever defeat that the Waratahs have suffered from the Reds the week previous. Let's see if we can make it a three-peat, a hat-trick, and see if they lose by the highest ever margin to the force this coming week. I would put it past them. It, <laughs> let's talk about that later when we preview the next round. Yeah. Um, it was... It was a very challenging game to watch, as I'm sure we're going to talk about in a second. But the things we'll be talking about, the, the way we're going to address the game, general impressions, which players stood out, standout statistic, and where to next for the Tars. So, Mitch, general impressions. Yeah, look, this game was over by the, about the 15th or 16th minute. Um, the Waratahs conceded two quick early tries, and then you could just tell from the players, they dropped their heads and they, they were out of it. Um, Harry Johnson Holmes scored a try in the. Oh, I haven't written down the time. Do you remember what time it was? It oh, thirty minutes. So thirty minutes. Yeah, thirtieth minute they scored a try. At that point, they were down nineteen ten with a converted try, which is well and truly still in it, considering what had just happened for the last rest of the half. But there was no celebration from the Waratahs at all. They yeah. basically scored yeah, the try really and all weird. just got up. There was about three blokes that just sort of tapped him on the shoulder and then they ran back. Like there was no. Um, celebration there was no atmosphere there was no camaraderie from this team and and that was I think the biggest factor for this side that the Brumbies got out to a pretty quick and an early start they started to gain some early possession they started to get some penalties and the Waratahs just went into their shell and they kind of I guess it seemed to me like they expected this to happen the players personally and um, were kind of just waiting for the game to finish that's what it felt like yeah, and I mean, the the weird thing is, I, I saw that moment and I agree, that's definitely what it looked like. But the fact is, they actually didn't give up throughout the game. You could still see that the players were trying. And you look at Alex Newsom in the post-match interview, it looks like someone has bought him a puppy, let him raise it and love it from a puppy to a mature dog at the age of like 12, 13, and then just shot it in front of him. <laughs> like he is incredibly hurting in that moment. Um, 
it was really sad to see how downcast he actually was in that post-game presser. And luckily, Rob Penny took the majority of the questions and Alex Newsom only had to answer one or two right at the end. Uh, I think everybody saw that Newsom was not in the mood to actually talk. Yeah. So there's that part of it to me that says he cares and the players, the players still seem to care. And it's not like there were fundamental... It's, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. You just keep going, and I'll just yeah, think okay. about what All I'm right. trying so to say here. If we uh, and apart from from that little moment um, that I wanted to touch on early, but the Brumbies were just clinical. Everything that they yeah. did in this game came came off. It was, it ended up being a training run for them. Unfortunately, the Waratahs just were yeah. proving no um, effect at all in defence. They weren't they weren't there in just general defence in the in the midfield. They weren't there in mall defence. They weren't there in cover defense, I, the players were just kind of missing whenever they, the play, the Brumbies were attacking in some way. The Waratahs just seemed to find a hole there to let them through. And it was just head scratching because there, there really was no reason why the Waratahs were performing so badly. Yeah, I am... Um... We, we commented whilst we were, we were tweet, live tweeting the game and one of the comments we put out was that we're just not confident that the Waratahs are technically up to the game plan that Penny is playing. He's got too many unforced errors, simple mistakes, and they just... I'm not convinced they've got the forward pack to be able to play the game that he wants them to play. The very fact that they had to go to New Zealand to get two locks and couldn't promote anybody from the New South Wales development squad is really concerning in a way. Uh, what's happening with the development pathways if we don't have two homegrown locks or at least one homegrown lock to replace and we have to get three outside players in, so in Caird, Wetton and Wykes. Um but beyond that, we have no capacity to defend a rolling mall as well. That's another thing to put out there. The Brumbies were just dominant. I also want to just raise the question of should backs be allowed to join a mall once it's set? <laughs> um, I, I get that it's currently within the rules and credit to the Brumbies for currently exploiting and utilizing the rules as they, as they currently are. But if you, if the, Reds, was it the Reds who got penalized for Tate McDermott who got penalized yeah. for being within 10 meters of the mall of the line yeah. out? Um, like who cares? It doesn't affect the play. But yeah. if if you're not allowed to join a line out before it's over, why are you allowed to join a rolling mall whilst it's in in progress? That just doesn't make sense to me. You just commit to it and have the same number of players that you commit to, or like it's it's that just doesn't make sense. Um, that being said. The rolling mall has been a part of the game for decades, like at least a decade now. Just just learn how to defend against it. When we used to have Will Skelton, he was fantastic at just pushing his way through and pulling down the mall. Um, you had Jacques Pocketer as well, who was fantastic at it as well. Well, if we so compare, we as we did kind of, we did mention this briefly when we were talking about the previous game, but what was so effective for the Rebels is that they had their second rowers who actually swam through the mall, got the ball yep. player and took him to ground. Whereas the Waratahs yep. players, for whatever reason, and I think this was also partly because of how defensively set the Brumbies are, when with their pillars from the jump, they just set that front three and you can't get through them. But the Waratahs were always trying to swim around the side. And as soon as their players mm. would 
get around the um, the the defensive three or the front three of the Brumbies players, the referee was pinging them for being offside and telling them to go yep. back around. Yep. So therefore we had players that were sort of swimming around the side, getting told to get back. So they'd completely break off and then come round. So the Brumbies ended up having not really anyone there trying to get through the middle at their ball player mm. or even yep. putting any kind of real pressure on them. So they kind of just drove straight through like a tank. Yeah, for all the talk of Jack Wetton being absolutely massive, being able to bench, what was it, like 200 or something like that kilograms? Yeah. Um, I don't know, doing some ridiculous amount of weight that he can press. He just doesn't seem to be able to get himself through the malls in a way that I'll be hoping for for a person of his frame. Uh, one of the things we pointed out in the Reds-Waratahs trial game um, up at... Where, 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 where it was. Yeah, narrowboy. Um, I mentioned that James Slipper did this really smart thing where he was on the edge of the scrum with, of the mall with a couple of Waratahs players pushing against him. He gets James a tap Slipper. on the back and he detaches. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not Slipper. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Brumbies. We played the Reds up there. Oh, what am I saying then? No, it was when the, I was, it was a game I was watching for the Brumbies. Anyway, oh, regardless, yeah, you go. where oh, Slipper is able to, yeah, all good. Where uh, Slipper is able to, detach and pulls two of the Waratahs players with him in this game. And I saw that happen a couple of times and I'm like, damn, that's smart. It is just so, so intelligent because it takes two players for two. It's a two for one trade. So it means that the Brumbies are up in the amount of power they're able to put through with the rolling mall. And then the Waratahs players, and one of them was Dempsey. I specifically remember it. He joins in, but not at the back, but on the edge. So he's pushing at an angle. He's pushing like perpendicular to the direction of the Brumby scrum. He's not actually getting behind and pushing Mm -hmm. to stop them from moving forward. And so it's just these basic things that the Brumbies are so good at and the Waratahs just were really, really poor in that makes me go, okay, some of these are easy fixes. Some of them are, but some of them are, we we obviously just don't have the cattle and the Brumbies were so good that they just exploited that ruthlessly and, and credit to them. They were brilliant to watch. Yeah, I mean, very similar to that point you were just making. Uh, there was one or two um, more tries at the Brumby score where I noticed, um, uh, who, who was it? Sorry, I just had his name and then I forgot it. Um, the, it was uh, Darcy Swain. As, yep. the, as the defending player for the Brumbies, he actually would push kind of through the Waratahs. Like he didn't have the ball. He was one of the pillars. He would push through the Waratahs. He personally was strong enough to take about three players completely splinter their defense, which then allowed the Brumbies to kind of just fold through the mall, fall through the hole that he um, set because he ended up twisting around and pulling them through the hole that he set. And then they'd scored a try through it. So he yep. alone was strong enough to take out three Waratahs players. Um, the question is why the Waratahs not able to defend. So uh, defend effectively against a more particularly going down to play the Brumbies at home. We, you can't say they didn't know that this was the game plan. The Brumbies knew uh, Brumbies have used this for the last three years. They score most of their points off the driving mall. So you would think that the Waratahs all the last week would have just been mauling, but from the performance they put in, it didn't look like they'd done a mall at all. Yeah. So and I mean, very, uh, it's head scratching, isn't it? Yeah. And look, I want to go to some of the positives now and I'm, 
obviously can't really pull much from the Waratahs. So I want to speak to the positives of the Brumbies. Uh, Michael Checker and Drew Mitchell did some fantastic analysis again in this game where they looked through the attacking structure of the Brumbies and how they were just so fantastic at being able to set up the forward screens no matter where they are within the field and then just have the options of where they're going to be playing it. It's simple, structured rugby. And they pointed it out again of how effective they were at doing it. So I was very, very impressed with that. Um, look I'm on the um, on the else. flip side of that, there was one thing that I noticed with the Waratahs attack, which they um, they seemed to just rush their um, they were going wing to wing. They would get the ball yep. and they get tackled on yep. one wing, and they just completely put it through all of the backline hands until it got to the other wing where they got tackled, and then they come straight yep. back again. And then they, they would either kick the possession away halfway through that that third um, that third phase of possession turn it over or get an intercept. Um, and it didn't seem like there was a few times early on where Moera was crashing up and taking on the line and he was doing quite effectively to at least break that first tackle. Um, but they kind of stopped doing that. And then they would just completely go back into that, that form of going wing to wing to wing, yep. um, which yep. was so predictable. Yeah. And Morgs put a, fantastic piece of commentary early in the game where he said that if you watch how the Brumbies were defending, they were hitting the rucks really hard when the ball was in a Tars half. But as soon as the ball got over that halfway line, they, they just let the rucks go and they spread out and fanned out and then just stopped that wide play from the Waratahs because they had enough players to cover it because they weren't committing to the breakdown. Yeah. And that was just intelligent because they're like, well, let's turn over the ball in your half, kick to the corner, score a try. And when you're in our half, we'll just spread out and force an error and not let you play the game that you want to play. And I just watched that unfold and just thought, oh, you are where I want my team to be. Yeah. But we are not there and we will not be there for a couple of years. So it was very, very difficult to take. Very, very difficult. Well, let's move on to the next point. And that was who stood out to you? So who from the Brumby uh, side? Because there wasn't really anyone from the Waratahs, I think, that we can say that stood out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but who from the Brumbies? I thought Rob Valentini. Rob Valentini with? was really yep. good. He he dominated uh, Lockie Swinton, Swinton, and that's something that we're going to be. I think that was one of the questions that we got asked by a fan, actually. But I was really, really impressed with the way in which uh, Valentini is muscling up and taking on some of what we would see from McCaffrey uh, yep. within within the Brumbies, because Samu is not the kind of tight contact area player. He's not going to be taking the hits around the corner of a breakdown or a line out or something like that. But that's left up to Valentini. And there were a bunch of times where Swinton tried to line him up and they just, there was one particular time where Swinton lined him up and then just got like knocked straight to the ground. Right. And the whistle got called for something else. And Valentini just stands over him laughing. And Swinton gets up and starts to go all mad dog on him before they get broken up. And Valentini's just laughing and full on alphas him in how much he just dominated him within that contest. Yep. And that was like a microcosm of the game for me. You had Waratah's players who were, who were putting in effort to their credit. They were trying, but were just being shown up in a men versus boys type of scenario. Yeah. So for me, uh, Rob Valentini had one of his better games for the Brumbies. Yeah, definitely. I was impressed by Rob Valentini. I think we can't go past uh, Mac Hansen. He was phenomenal for the Brumbies. He just seemed to pop mm -hmm. up everywhere and, and did what he needed to do and finished off some really nice tries. So uh, yep. three tries to him. Well done. Uh, I wish we had some wingers who could tackle and 
score tries, but we don't seem to have that this year. Yeah, look, yeah, okay. I don't want to crap on players, so I won't mention that stuff. But um, was there anyone I else thought White played. Yeah, yeah, Nick White, I thought was really strong. Um, he played well for the time that he was on, and he's just such a calm and assured presence at the breakdown. Plus, he had a really nice try that he did from just a nice break and dive oh. the face. I mean, so... I could, I, watching that, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't understand how he did it. It was like he put spiders on his legs or something coming into the second half, <laughs> or maybe he greased himself up with some Vaseline or something because he just slipped straight through four of our players untouched and just dived over for a try. Um, but yeah, as you said before, uh, I just really like how composed he is. He just seems to know he's not, he's not phased by anything. He never sort of looks up and looks worried. He just takes the game at his pace. Um, he takes it at his time and he just always seems to have one or two options available at all times. He's just really, really classy at the moment. And it's really good to see. I fully agree. He's, he's definitely the best nine that we have so far behind Ryan Lonergan. So yeah, and it's I'm unfortunate really that um, yeah, that Lonigan's behind him, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> look, they're just wanting that second half impact from such a class player, right? Um, but really, yeah, I'll really bring I'll, it home, you know, bring home yeah, that victory. Exactly. When when the game's still in a balance, that's when you bring Ryan, Ryan Lonigan on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's enough on that one. Um, I'm just trying to think of who else I want to speak to. I thought Connell McInerney. I'm always impressed with him. Um, I really like what he brings and his lineup throwing is particularly strong and he's good around the park as well. So we, we could name the majority of the Brumbies outfit. Yeah. Uh, if Is there anybody from the Tars that you wanted to mention? Um, Mawera was better this week than he was last yeah, he week. Was. He was. Um, yeah. Actually, he didn't play last week, did he? Um, this was no. his first yeah. in the trial. But, um, yeah, in the trial. Yeah, I, um, I did say that I wasn't too impressed with his performance in the trial but yeah i think it was starting to work a little bit this week i can see that that big crash ball number 13 um or number 12 i think he was playing 12 this week yeah. was working he was at least bending the line a little bit um he was the only one in the waratahs back line that actually took the the took on the defensive line and actually made an impact everyone else kind of was preferred to just sort of shovel it on um, yep. so not the kind of player yet that we can build a, a team around or build a backline move around, but the only one really at the moment that's willing to have a real go at it. So yeah, got to mention him for that one. Yeah. And I just want to say, I thought Tizano was somewhat strong again in this game. He didn't have anywhere near the same stats, uh, impressive tackle stats as last time, but he still looks to me to be a very quality player. Um, and I'm excited to see him con- continue to develop throughout the season. I think some of the criticism that's getting put on some of the backs within the Waratahs is a bit harsh. So Will Harrison's copying a fair bit. At the moment, I don't see what you expect a young number 10 with an unfamiliar back line and a forward pack that's going backwards to be able to do. I don't think any 10 in the world could change what's happening here. So I think people really just need to have a bit of perspective in their criticism of him at this point in time. Um, And let's see how he plays when the forwards give him a bit more parity within the game. If, if. If I said when, being hopeful. <laughs> and I'm saying when, being hopeful. Yep. Um, well, let's move on now because we are dragging this pod on a little bit. Um, but <laughs> what was your standout statistic from the game against the Brumbies? 
Look, um, I think the standout statistic really just needs to be the number of malls that were won compared to the Tars. So it was eight to okay. three from the Brumbies to the Tars. And malls aren't a flashy thing. They're not particularly sexy in any way, um, or at least to the average punter. There hmm. might be some people with a lot of hair in their chest and hair on their back that really, really like it, but that ain't me. And oh, I, did, I, I thought they were enjoyable. Yeah, and how much hair do you have on your chest? Oh, we, we, back, won't, we won't go into that. <laughs> so there's there's that point that obviously that the Brumbies just are so dominant in that area. But the other point that I wanted to say was the clean breaks. Yeah. So seventeen to two, seventeen to two, just is so disappointing because it just shows the defensive issues that are at play within the Waratahs outfit. But it's also, in my opinion, not unexpected with the amount of changes that the team has had, particularly in the back line, just from week one to two, let alone from 2020 to 2021. It's not surprising that the trust that a person needs to have on the inside and outside man just isn't there, that the organizational uh, structure that they have is, is hard to bed down with an uh, unfamiliar team. I'm really really concerned that we are not going to have a swift turnaround to the Waratah's fortunes. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that those are mine, the malls and the defenders, uh, sorry, the clean breaks. Yeah. Those are the two ones that I had as well. Um, those clean breaks, massively worrying. Um, I think if you look at some of the other stats, it really kind of doesn't paint a good picture of this game. So if you look at the possession, it was split 50, 50 and the territory was 54% to the Brumbies, but 46 to the Waratah's. And when you, look at the game that was played and how it played out. It definitely felt like the Brumbies were kind of camped in the Waratahs 22 for the majority of that game. Um, so those stats were a little bit, a um, little bit misleading. Um, mm. But apart, apart from that, yeah, I think you, you've summed it up perfectly. So let's, before we just move off to this topic, um, where do you, what's, what's next for the Tars? Where do you see we can possibly move to from here? I think, and I think we, we've got to be quick with this pick yep. and stick. You, we can't have wholesale change because that's part of the problem anyway. The players are going to be demoralized. What does it say to them if you just lock them out of the team from now? You say you perform so badly, you're out. Do you expect them to be able to be confident and assertive players when they come back into the fold? I think you've just got to pick it and stick. And I'm not confident we're going to win against the force, but I'm looking for an improved performance. And I just want them to show that they care. I am resigned to the fact that we're probably not going to win a game if maybe more, maybe one game this season. Maybe this game against the Force at home might be our one win. And I just want them to show us that they care, that there is pride in a jersey, that they are trying to implement the plan and putting their all in. If they can do that, then they've still got me as a supporter. And to be honest, if they don't do that, they probably still have me as a supporter. Hmm. But I'm hoping for the positive. Yeah, I um I think one of the biggest issues we've got at the moment is around leadership. Um, one we don't we've got a, a a lot of inexperienced players in this team, and Alex Newsom as captain, he was probably the only logical choice because he had been in that sort of leadership group under hoops for a few years now, um, and stepped in a little bit, but this is the first time he's really captained the team for a whole game. But 
in saying that, that was to me as an outside fan, it really looked like after about 35 minutes that the Waratahs completely gave up. Their heads dropped. Mm -hmm. They completely went into their shells and there was no one that was really communicating well between the team and there was no one that was really keeping them in the game. That's something that Hooper has done very, very well for the Waratahs in the last few years is he's very good at just keeping that morale level up, keeping heads up and keeping the boys going, which is what we don't have at the moment. What I would be doing, I would be, I've not been impressed by the second rowers, either of them so far. Um, I would really like to see Sam Caird come on and and have, uh, Sam White, sorry, come on and and have a bit of game time. We haven't seen him at all this season so far. He at least, um, he's a New South Wales boy. He's grown up and played in New South Wales for the majority of his junior years. So you would think that he has some um, desire for the jersey. He wants to play for the Waratahs, you would think. So he might bring some of that. But he's also played for the Western Force and the Sunwolves. So he's got experience at this level. He's just... I would imagine, I mean, I don't, I don't know the guy and I don't know what his skill set is, but I would think that he would bring a little bit more maturity to that forward pack and leadership to be able to keep them going and keep the communication going, um, which I think is what we need at the moment, particularly going into this weekend, the first um, home game for the Waratahs of the year. We really need to get some points on the board and we really need to put in a decent performance for the fans to kind of stick with this young side. Um, the other thing I would say to the coaches, and I would try and keep this as quick as possible. I know I'm rambling on. Come a on, come bit, on, come on, come on. But um, <laughs> um, we need to adjust the game plan to our players. We need to change it. They're not up to the game plan that Rob Penny's currently playing. Will Harrison's got a great boot on him. He shows that he can kick them from most places in the field. We need to just get into play similar to what the, the Rebels were doing and just take the points when they're on offer, keep that scoreboard pressure ticking over. That will definitely be an instrumental point in this weekend's game. So that's what I'd be doing, trying to shift the game plan a little bit from what Rob Penny really wants and, and probably has used in other teams and really look at the players that he's got and try and, and do something that will work more to their skill set and their, and their skill level. All right, that's it. Let's move on to the round three preview. Let's go. Okay, so now we're going to quickly go through the games for Super Rugby round three. Um, first up on Saturday night, the Waratahs are having their first home game of the year against the Western Force. Ando, which way do you see this game going? I find it really hard to see anything other than a Force win. They were good in their first in their first game against the Brumbies, they they obviously lost, but there was a strong performance from them against the top team. And so I'm really concerned that the Tars aren't going to be able to pick themselves up f- yet. So I, look, I don't know. Do I do the thing from our season where I pick with my, with my head so my heart feels good? I don't know. You pick with your heart. I don't know. No. Okay, so do my you... heart wants to pick the Tars. Um, I'm going to go force by 15, 15. Okay. Lovely. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I had questions that the Waratahs needed to sort of make some improvement from the Reds game in week one to the Brumbies game in week two. And if anything, unfortunately they went backwards. I know they were under the pump by that Brumbies team who is on point and is very, very good team, but I just don't think that they had, they really, they didn't seem to fire a shot at all. Um, and I wonder where the morale currently is for this this team. This is their first home game of the season. They need to get up and get some uh, a good performance out there and get the points on the table. But I just don't see it happening. I think the Western Force team has too many stars in there. There's too much talent that they're bringing. And they're going to be hungry for their first victory in Super Rugby back in this format. So this is the perfect opportunity for that Western Force to get their first scalp. And I think that's definitely what we're going to see. Um, I hope it doesn't blow out to another record score because if we get to that point, I, just, I 
just don't know where we're going to go from there. Um, but yep. I'm going to keep it relatively uh, short. So I'll say Western Force by 10. Okay, so I'm 15, you're by 10. Yeah. All right, for the second game, Brumbies versus the Rebels. We have both teams coming off really strong performances. Brumbies obviously being absolutely dominant and the Rebels showing a really, really good strategic play within their game against the Reds, but just falling down at the final hurdle. Uh, I think the Brumbies are going to be too strong at home, but I think that the defensive capacity of the Rebels is going to be such that they are going to put up a really stern fight. So I'm going to be going Brumbies by 10. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I'm i also similar on that one. I think the Rebels played really well to their game plan last week. The Brumbies know what they need to do to win this season. And I think that they're going to be a very hard team to beat at home this year. I, I would like to see... I'm interested to see if the Rebels can adjust their game plan to try and nullify the Brumbies and try and play a different game plan each week dependent on the opposition that they're playing and not just try and do the same thing every single time. Um, but I still think the Brumbies are going to be too... too Good for this one. So I'm tipping them by 14 points. Okay, by 14. Fair call. Should we move across to New Zealand conference now? Yep. So the first game in New Zealand sees the Chiefs, their first game of Super Rugby Aotearoa this year, hosting the Highlanders. Um, Ando, who do you see taking out the points here? I really want the Chiefs to take out the points here because they're playing at home, first game of the season for them. And after the shocking 2020 season that they had, I think that they are going to be up for this game. Uh, So I'm going to go the Chiefs by five. I think it's going to be very close, but I'm going Chiefs by five. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I I kind of mirror that as well. I think that the Chiefs will um, try and be better than they were last year. This Highlanders team, though, did show last week that they really did push the Crusaders a lot further than I think a lot of people were initially expecting. So I think they've definitely got starch, that team. They will push the Chiefs, but I think the Chiefs will be hungry to get their first victory at home. So I think it'll be tight. I'm going to say three. Chiefs by three. Okay, so you're three, I'm five. All right. Uh, Satyrs versus Canes. I think everyone will be picking the Satyrs on this one, so I'll be sticking with that. And I'll say Satyrs by 14. Yeah, I think the Saders will win this one pretty convincingly as well. So I'm going to say Crusaders by 21. 21. Big call. Yes. Okay. Three try win. Okay. Well, that's it for our preview. Very, very quick and easy. And why don't we move now into our listener questions? All right, we move now to our listener questions. And the way we're going to do this is really, really quick fire because we value your time, we value our time, and we value your input. So, Loosehead Greggs at Loosehead G says the Super Rugby AU final will be on rugby at nine, rugby on nine, right? If the Tars don't make the final, let's say it's Queensland Reds versus ACT Brumbies, can the final still set a new all time high audience record for an Australian national rugby match? Mitch. Yeah, definitely. I think it will. Um, just having Super Rugby AU on free-to-air throughout the years, already bringing in bigger numbers than we had last year by comparison. Yep. So just having it on on a Saturday night, I imagine that people would start to follow the competition a little bit more and just be aware of it being being on, not knowing before that it was on at all. Um, and that will get a few people in to watch the final. And yeah, I just don't see why it wouldn't. All right. Our next question from John Shadlow. How long should Tars fans suffer under their rebuilding? Who should shoulder the blame for the player drain over the last few years? 
Yeah, it's a hard one. That's what I've been wrestling with all this week as well. I mean, I've been a very loyal Waratahs fan for the last probably 10 years, and this is the first time that I'm really starting to like what I'm seeing from other Super Rugby teams a lot more and actually enjoy watching their games more than the Waratahs games, which I hate to say. But um, I I don't want to point fingers too much, but I really have to have to do say that the previous management of the Waratahs, and I won't say anyone in particular, but just the way that the whole um, organization was managed in the last probably four to five years has really led to the situation that we're currently in. There was no progression there. There was no forward planning. There was no development of players. And that's really where we've kind of found ourselves in now that we're at rock bottom. Um, but in a positive way, I don't think we can get any worse than where we currently are. It has to be up from here. Well, there are two other teams that we haven't had record losses to. So why don't you hold that comment until we've played each of those? Well, I mean, even if we do get record losses against <laughs> them, we're still like we're still at the bottom. Like, how could it get any worse? Yeah, the only worst thing could be, true. and I was saying this to someone off the air the other day, the worst thing, the possible worst thing from where we currently are is that the Waratahs fold as an organization and become bankrupt and say we're withdrawing from Super Rugby, which just isn't going to happen. It just won't happen. No, so really, no. we're probably as low as we can get even if we do get record <laughs> victories of, against us every single week, record defeats every single week for this competition, which we, we might. We might. Now, hopefully we won't. And there is some hope. But anyway, let's keep moving on. Um, we've got a couple from Craig Fitzgerald. I'm going to read through it all and then just get your quick comment on it. Some of it you've just spoken to. So feel free to just um, maybe reiterate a point if needed. Yep. So Craig Fitzgerald at skunky underscore C. There's <laughs> been a large amount of discussion on Twitter about where it's all gone wrong for the TARS. Recruitment, player development, coaching, management, feeder, pl- feeder clubs, player retention. Or are we just short in a few key areas like the type five? He's keen to know your thoughts. Uh, was it Andrew Hoare before he ran away and Daryl Gibson for they seem to start the rot, but the New South Wales management and its relationships all create a bit of a mess. So technically we have the largest player base to choose from, but we can't find a couple of local locks. Uh, now, I'm not sure how many questions were actually in that, but yeah, he's a speaking to there. a lot of the problems. So yeah. why don't you just have a quick response to that one? Yeah, I think um, first of all, recruitment, something that we haven't done well in the last 10 years, really. We seem to be a club that has a few big name players and then hope that that's enough to lure talent overseas. We don't really bring in players from the shoot shield and develop them to become um, well super rugby players and then go on to make test debuts and play in for the Wallabies. So um, development is one of those coaching as well, I think is a big one that leads into that as well. Um, yeah. I just think, as an organization, we have such a good resource of the shoot shield sitting underneath us and we're not using it. We didn't use the NRC well. We're not using the shoot shield well. We're bringing players out of cl- uh, out of school and bringing them into the sort of Waratahs Academy, but we don't really build them up. We don't get them out there experiencing rugby. We get them coming in, holding tackle bags at training, training four or five days a week, and then they're not even going back to Shoot Shield to play on the weekend. So they're, they're, by the time they're old enough to make a, a Shoot Shield debut, they don't have a massive amount of rugby under their belts. And I think that's the issue that we're currently seeing. That does come down to the way that the coaching was that they would prefer to bring in players from overseas, the way that the CEO was um, just allowing that to happen. Um, I think all of it is all different. It's all a big mess and it all is definitely um, factors that have led to where we're currently sitting. Thank you for that. I feel like there could be a like a PhD written on the state of New South Wales rugby. Oh, so I'm not. I'm, I'm not writing it. Do I'm another not degree. writing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russell at Russell at Russell the rugby. How much money do you think we will have to crowdsource to bring the NRC back? 
It was on grave display this weekend, the importance of a tier two comp in Australia to centralize top level club players. Yep. Now you spoke to that just a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> How do you think about the crowdsourcing of the NRC competition? Yeah, look, I mean, that might actually be a feasible option. Uh, Rugby Australia obviously doesn't have the money to put into it to, to sustain it. When it was brought in, Fox Sports was very much backing it up and propping it up. And when they kind of pulled out, the whole thing fell to bits. Uh, but it, it goes to show, particularly this Queensland side, how vital of a platform it was for those play development. New South Wales didn't take it seriously. And now this is where we're currently sitting and finding ourselves. But yeah, I mean, there's enough interest there from people that maybe if if um, Rugby Australia did put it out as some kind of crowdsourcing thing, it might get up and running again. Um, I wouldn't want to put a figure against it. I don't know how much it would cost in terms of player payments and travel and logistics and TV and all that kind of stuff. But I don't see it being too far of a possibility to create. I think it would be something that Nine definitely would be interested in moving forward. Um, but it might not be something that we see in the next year or two. All right, Nick Potter, at Nick Potter 20 as the Waratahs season is over, would enjoy discussing in depth a bit of the battles for the Wallabies jerseys. Valentini and Swinton, for example, on a weekend was great. Um, I'll put out a couple of names for you. So I just want a quick, quick comment, summary, overview. Lalesio versus Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Harrison is a better player in my opinion when he's playing well and he's got a full pack that will get him moving forward um i would love to see him get that wallabies jersey this year but in saying that i just i don't know how that's going to happen because he hasn't got that forward pack that's making him go forward and i think that his um confidence is going to be definitely shattered from the def- the defeats that we've currently had and potentially what else lies ahead in the season uh round one jake gordon before he gets injured versus nick white yeah love to see it um i think Nick White is the player of the tournament so far. No one's taking that Wallabies jersey off him so far. So, um, I don't, I, Jake Gordon was good, but he wasn't Nick White good. Valentini or Swinton? I would be going with, on current form, Valentini. Because we haven't seen a lot of Swinton so far, but Valentini's played quite well. Um, but then we've got a whole season to play ahead of us. And that that is really what us Waratahs fans can look forward to in some ways we just put it out we just look forward to seeing how our players can go up against the wallabies that they're they're pushing jerseys for so i guess that's one thing that we'll just focus on that's the positive and a final one to bring in a reds player just uh actually no i'll do two more okay i'm going to bring in some reds players into the mix as well okay so looking at number eight you got samu you got dempsey playing at eight and you got harry wilson pick your wallabies starter harry wilson okay cool i just like he's um, in, in his tight, his ability to play tight. I think um, Swinton, again, we haven't seen a whole lot of so far. Um, not quite up to scratch on the weekend. Fell off a few tackles. Wasn't having as much of an impact. Um, and um, who was the other one? Samu plays too wide for my liking. And that works well for the Brumbies, but I don't think it works well for the Wallabies. Yeah, he's obviously playing to a particular strategy. Like he's being told to stay out there. So I mean, he's always doing. there. If, if yeah, he's well, not being told part of the setup. Yeah, if he's not being told to play there, then he's just getting caught on the wing scoring tries <laughs> and loving it. All right. Then finally, number seven, um, Tizano, Jerome Brown, or Fraser McWright. I definitely don't think Tizano's at the level required yet for the Wallabies. Um, yep. he's had two games. Um Fraser McWright in and out this year. I haven't really seen him stand up as much as I was ex- expecting. So I'm gonna go with Jerome Brown. Oh, that's big. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. Um, but regardless, 
I know that I haven't included Rebels and Force players within that. It was just a very, very quick. I would love fire, to see Hardwick um, actually as well. Conversation. I thought Hardwick. Yeah, I love Hardwick. Hardwick. I think yeah. he is just a machine. He's a wrecking ball, never gives up, and he's the biggest angry baby face in the entire competition. So I love watching him play. And he knows how to get um, a red card against him. It's good. He just gets on top of a ball <laughs> and just waits until someone hits him in the head. Yeah, and he milks definitely it. milked that one on purpose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> um, I actually hope he recovers well from that and doesn't have any issues after well, the game. He played on. It was he a heavy hit. He didn't actually. He played it. on. Yeah, he didn't get a concussion test, so he played on. So he just yep. doing the Maradona, which thing. I find weird. If it's bad enough to get a red against you, like surely it's bad enough for you to need a concussion test. You think so? You'd think so. You'd think so. Anyway, conversation for another time. We've talked for a very long time and we have loved it. Hope you have enjoyed listening to us chat as well. Make sure to hit us up on the socials and to share this with your friends. If you feel like giving us a review as well, that'd be absolutely yeah. wonderful. We'd love to hear back from you. Um, and it helps us with the different ratings as well. So maybe hit us up on Apple Podcasts, or Apple Music and do stuff there. And we've just um, been going at this but- is how we currently do. We think we you all like it. I mean, we're getting more and more engagement, which is great. But if you've got any ideas, <laughs> Yeah. Of what you'd like to hear or any things that we can change up a little bit definitely let us know give us a review we'd love to hear it yeah we'd absolutely love it um so thank you everybody so much don't forget to keep an eye out for next uh, post prior to the pod next week so you can get your questions answered by us on the pod thank you so much and have a wonderful week bye and we um i also just wanted to say we are heading out to the oh, waratahs and western force game this weekend do that to me yes i can yes oh. i can we're heading out to the waratahs oh. and western force game this weekend so if you're out there try and find us come say hi we'd love to hear from you um and let's go tars now now go you can say your, now you can say your farewell okay all right let's try this one again have a great week everybody bye bye